Hello, and welcome back to Monday Morning Crew Chief. I'm your host, Matt Schneider, along with Bryce Morris. We have a lot to discuss today, including Hendrick Driver personalities, the charter system, no, yeah, the race at Hotlanta. Bryce was at Atlanta, and uh, we're going to get his take. And uh, before we do that, there's some things we need to discuss, and a little disclaimer here. It's not just going to be a Hendrick Fest. We're not going to talk about them the whole podcast. We're going to get to the race, talk about everything that went on. Um, but uh, I think uh, there's a few things I heard this week uh, that were kind of interesting, caught my attention. Um, now, this is kind of going back to um, Byron winning at Daytona. Uh, but what it really relates to what's been a huge storyline all of last year into this year is personality in the media with drivers. Um, we saw Denny Hamlin uh, like take off as the heel, if you want to say, in mm-hmm. wrestling terms. Uh, what was interesting was Jeff Gluck of the Teardown and writer for The Athletic doesn't think Byron is a household name. He says he's a nice guy, but doesn't know if he resonates outside the racing bubble. So my question is, does the average sports fan know who William Byron is? Um, at this point, I don't think that William Byron is a household name. Which is crazy. Uh, he's going pretty close to superstar status. Well, with the Daytona 500 win, I definitely think that it like has put him on a different yeah different level for sure I, I can agree with that yeah so what does it come down to is byron boring does he need more personality i think that nascar needs to um let let these guys say what they need to say in the media um in your notes here yeah. you you wrote down that um you felt like like Byron has has been like stifled in his like when he talks to people. Yeah, so I found this interesting. Um Jeff Gordon went on Dale Jr's podcast. Uh he also has been quoted in the media multiple times and let me uh just kind of go over what he stated. So Jeff Gordon has commented, "Let the sponsors market you. Let the sport market you. Be the best you can be on social media." And this was a comment he said to the media, and this was during the time of Denny Hamlin uh, being too controversial for Jeff Gordon's liking. Uh, this That was him responding to well, that. Well, this was when Denny Hamlin was getting fined by that, NASCAR that is for true. the things he was saying in, yes. on his podcast. And Hendrick Motorsports themselves were dealing with Chase Elliott being penalized for... Wrecking Denny Hamlin. Yes, <laughs> wrecking Denny Hamlin. Now, Chase... Uh, did not give the media any bait uh, with his interview. Uh, he, he was very matter-of-fact and essentially lied to the media because he knew that he couldn't speak his mind. Mm-hmm. At, like, yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying with NASCAR. And do you think that happened at Daytona with Byron? Do you think that he couldn't really talk about the ending and what what happened in a couple laps before with that- his wreck? I don't know. It, it's interesting though. Like, y- you almost saw Byron turn a switch on, and mm-hmm. like he goes into like his media train mode of uh, answering the questions, and like not a whole lot of emotion shown. Mm-hmm. And like maybe it was because his boss Rick Hendrick was just standing right there, coming up to the car. Yeah. Uh, so 
I mean, that's a good point. Really, I think it's one of those things where he was really excited and is probably in shock because yeah. that's a that's a huge accomplishment. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go on continuing with like Gordon's statements. I, I yeah. found this really interesting here. Um, so I I've pulled this from like multiple interviews. Um, now I'm going back to. Uh, his interview with Dale Jr. And he says there's a lot of people putting a lot of work into the team. And basically, depending on who the sponsor is, who the owner is, and what their expectations are, uh, is what the driver should be allowed to show, which I found was interesting. Gordon says that there's really high expectations and professionalism at Hendrick today because of all their success. He's been on the record saying he wants his drivers to do more things, and get out there. He's not saying he he doesn't want them to show personality, but I think the way he wants them to do it is, is very scripted uh, through sponsorship opportunities. He gave an example of uh, how he used to show his personality. He referenced doing a Pepsi commercial as showing his personality. He uh, talks about how he was on SNL. Yeah. I think that's a big one. Yeah, so uh, kind of like... Saturday Night Live. <laughs> for those that don't know. Um, it, it's a very like uh, professional way that he wants his drivers to appear in the media. I um, think it's I think it's a classic way. Yeah. You know, like it's through sponsorship deals. It's through um, just fun appearances that mm-hmm. get the sport out there, get Hendrick out there. Um, Byron did Lego Masters on... That's true. Fox or whatever affiliate, um, and he might he might get a Lego sponsorship now. There there's some talk really? to that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I saw that on Twitter. That that'd be a great match with his personality and interest, and in, especially yeah. with the Netflix show. Um, yeah, but it does seem like Hendrick's mo is like the New York Yankees. They want them to be tidy, not controversial, and just kind of win races. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Hendrick Motorsports, but like their employees are, they're all in uniform, shirts tucked in. Uh, I know that's kind of like, we always reference that to Penske and like how they need to be clean shaved and that for the the boss man over there. But Hendrick's very similar in that sense too. Um, Oh, I remember when I lost my train of thought where, uh, where I wanted to ask you. Yes. Um, do you think Byron's a household name? Uh, no. Okay. But he is well on the way, Okay, I think. What do you think it takes to be a household name? I I think it, it takes... Okay, one of two things. It's either going to be like... Okay, I don't think Jimmy Johnson is a household name, even with all of his accomplishments. So I don't think it's accomplishments. Oh, interesting. I think... It is... Is it Dale Earnhardt? Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. And those guys were outspoken in the media. Like, as, as like, what's the word? Um, contra- not contradictory as it is for Jeff Gordon to be saying this to his drivers. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jeff Gordon... He would be hot after an interview, after yeah. a wreck, or after getting into a fisticuffs yeah. with someone, and that's what and then go with and, me. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
the most famous interview of, of Jeff Gordon for me stuck in my mind is uh, him with a bloody lip <laughs> getting interviewed um, just after a fight. And it's him showing emotion and like the passion for the sport. That's what like drew me in. And not that like you have to get into a fight in a physical altercation. Um, but I think it's being able to show emotion. Do you think the drivers are just not showing each other emotion right now? Because like it's There's the same some are. It's like it's the same on track stuff is happening that yeah. was happening back yeah. in there's still just for sure. Some people are roughing each other up. Some people are just not working with each other. Yeah. Some people are being bad teammates. Uh, I think they're afraid to speak their mind because they don't want to get fined. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of this is NASCAR. NASCAR seems to come in waves of patrolling too much and like, hey, we're, we're running a tight ship. You can't say anything bad or else you're going to get fined or points are going to be taken from you mm-hmm. to boys have at it and a very hands-off approach and let the garage police itself. And right now we're in this mode where NASCAR is very hands-on. And I don't know what triggers th- this. Like maybe it's they feel like they have a bad look on themselves, so they need to f- correct that image in the media so they crack down. But, I mean, right now, like, have you ever had gluten-free bread? Yeah. It's about as bland as Chase Elliott's interviews. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Thank you. We're hard on that one. Um, yeah. I, so that's the thing. Um, Chase Elliott is one of is NASCAR's most popular driver yeah. and has been for the past couple of years. And I just don't get it. He doesn't have much of a, no. a personality, but he's a really nice guy, you know, for sure. And I'm sure he actually does have a great personality. Like, yeah, he's friends with Ryan Blaney, and Ryan Blaney is a very outspoken individual. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't picture like them meshing well if Chase was acting how he always does in his interviews. But, like, why aren't we seeing that side of Chase? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the question. And maybe I'm I'm out of pocket here and I don't know what I'm talking about with, like, showing emotion as, uh, like, becoming a household name. But mm-hmm. I think that's what draws people in. And, like, you get in those big moments and like the camera catches you expressing that emotion that's going to be on the mm-hmm. highlight reel that's going to be yeah on ESPN top 10 yeah. and going to break out from just the racing bubble i think that ryan blaney is a really exciting character for nascar yeah i think he is really handsome for one thing my wife would agree good looking dude good looking dude um and when he went and visited uh watched New York Knicks uh, with Bubba Wallace, he was cropped out of the photo. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, the New York Knicks social team posted a photo of Bubba Wallace. Yeah. And Ryan Blaney, the NASCAR Cup champion, was cropped out of the photo. And so it's like, I think, I think some in, I think it just, we need more recognition. Yeah. And hopefully people listening to a podcast about NASCAR, um, will continue to tell their friends to watch NASCAR and yeah, continue to get people to go to the track. And, um, yeah. Now, what's interesting is, like, 
Dale touched on this a little bit, but uh, why wasn't there a huge like media tour for Ryan Blaney? Like, why wasn't NASCAR pushing him through the whole off season of like this is our champ? Come, like we have a Netflix show coming out. Have Ryan go promote it. Like until the show came out, it was like radio silence. I felt like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, can you make him? There's the NASCAR yeah. season is so long. Yeah. Like, are we wearing these drivers out where they're just burnt out? Does the NASCAR season need to be so long? I don't think so. Okay. I think that might be a conversation yeah. for another time. I Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but with that being said, um, you can't, you, there's only so much you can make the drivers do. Yeah. And, um, I, I know personally, uh, from working with William Byron on some commercial stuff that, that stuff happened. Some of that stuff happens in the off season, and you have to give some of your time to do that. That's a great point. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, the last thing on this, um, it, going back to Ryan Blaney, uh, have you listened to like his in car audio? Uh, he's feisty. So feisty. I love it. And like he actually tames himself down for these interviews after a race. So I know that you know that I just got my my own scanner. Yeah. I am a. Did that work well? Yeah, it did. That's awesome. Um, if anyone's looking, I got a Uniden, uh, Bearcat. It, there's uh, some numbers. CR30, I think. Yeah. SC30? Something like that. Decent scanner. Um, um, yeah, I got some headphones on Amazon to go with it. And um, hopefully it'll pay itself off this year because I'm planning yeah. to go to the Bristol race and Martinsville, Richmond. Oh, so That's for sure going to pay for itself. If you go to a race and you rent a scanner... Uh, for one scanner, it's gonna be like forty bucks. A scanner and a headset. You want two headsets? You're up to like seventy bucks. So, mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend investing in your own race scanner. But cool. That that's awesome. I got distracted by the. Uh... <laughs> we are right next to a firehouse, and they uh, they're going out. So I apologize for that. Why did I even bring up the scanner? Oh, we were Listening talking about Ryan, Ryan Blaney's. Yeah, Ryan Blaney's audio. Yeah. So yeah, feisty. I like it. So I have him programmed into my scanner, and um, I only got up to uh, William Byron on the scanner. Um, you have to hand program the the, the Unit N one. Um, the racing electronic scanners they program at the trailer, mm-hmm. and they're a little more um, entry level friendly, I guess. So, yeah. But yeah. Anyways, we'll carry on. Cool. Yeah. We're going to jump into Sports Spotlight. So this week, we're going to start a whole new uh, series called State of the Sport. This is going to be a segment where we dive into a topic of the sport that we find interesting and want to learn more about. So this week, what I have for us is the topic of charters. And so like for so many people, charters are just this very... We just don't understand them. <laughs> we don't get it, Matt. And we need some wisdom. That's right. And like, even for the diehard fan, for myself, I was learning mm-hmm. as I was putting this together. Um, yeah. We know it's what a charter is. We know that it exists, but we don't know what's under the hood. We know they cost more money now. That's right. And there's big news on that this week, so we're going to get right to it. Last week, we got on the topic of Trackhouse hiring more drivers than they had seats, but we didn't really touch on what that looks like and why. And... 
Obviously, there's big charter news this week in NASCAR, so we wanted to dive into this topic of charters. Trackhouse only has two charters. If you don't know what a charter is, we'll get to it, but it's pretty much an agreement for the teams in NASCAR that they're guaranteed to start the race. Think of it like owning a basketball team franchise in a way. There's much more to it than that, but we will get there. So Trackhouse has hired four drivers. Only two have charters. Um, One of these new drivers is Zane Smith. He's under contract with Trackhouse, but he's driving for Spire Motorsports. Um, That's because they had an extra charter and they're able to enter that car every week. Um, He is not being paid by Spire and it's not a Trackhouse car or charter. This agreement probably came about because it formed a technical alliance between Spire and Trackhouse. Uh, We don't know what exactly this alliance consists of, but it could be anywhere from sharing information, setups, to sharing equipment, and even building cars. Now, the reason Trackhouse didn't just get another car and enter in Zame Smith's name under a Trackhouse without charters is because it would not make sense financially. A non-charter team gets a significantly lower payout for a finishing position compared to a charter team. This is where charters are very important. Yeah, and in the old model of NASCAR before charters, teams were essentially independent competitors, even more so than they are now. So anyone with NASCAR's approval could qualify for one of the 43 spots in a race. Now, if you had a small team show up and actually qualify in, that means one of the regular teams was knocked out. Although rare, this could have been a big team with a big sponsor paying a lot of money to be on that car for that race. The regular team owners didn't like this, and they wanted security to know that they're going to be in the show each and every week since they're spending so much money into the sport, and they wanted to keep sponsors happy. Charters not only guaranteed a starting position for the 36 chartered cars, but also more financial security for the teams. Before charters, teams were only worth what the buildings they owned and what the equipment they had which usually sold for pennies on the dollar. Charters give the teams actual value. Like we said, it is similar to owning a franchise in basketball or baseball. Kind of. The difference is charters not, are not a permanent thing, and you don't own, they don't own stake in NASCAR. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, they're still independent competitors. And so teams with charters, um, they get a higher payout for prize money, as we discussed. Uh, but there's tiers to these payouts for charters. So basically, it's based on a car's historical performance. And this is weighed over a three-year period and the year-end finish from their overall season points. Uh, And that will fund the winnings for an individual race. Basically, the better the team performs, the more money they will make. When the charter system originally started, they originally sold for a couple million dollars. When Spire Motorsports bought their first charter for $6 million from Furniture Row, people thought they were crazy. And Jeff Gluck has a great article this on this out now on The Athletic. And for those that don't know, Spire was actually a sports agency. Uh, they were brokering sponsorships and driver contracts before they were an actual race team. So they bought this charter because no one else would buy it for $6 million. And this was even before they owned a race car. They loaned the money to buy the charter in a risky business decision that has seemed to pay off. Spire has recently gone on to buy BJ McLeod's charter for $40 million this past season this past off season, which was considered to be one of the lowest valued charters. This means charters from top teams like Hendrick and Penske are probably worth around 50 million. NASCAR teams think that charters should cost even more because of the seven, $7.7 billion TV deal. 
To put it into perspective, the Orioles sold recently for $1.7 billion, and that was considered low. Now, this is great for team owners who have a charter already because they actually have value on a team that they're pouring millions into, and now they can get some sort of return on investment. However, I'm concerned about the state of charters for multiple reasons. So, what sets the value of this piece of paper? Just because someone bought something for that price, does that change the value for the rest of the charters? The big concern here is, are teams actually going to be able to sell for these prices? And who's going to buy these charters for these prices? Now, this might attract the Mark Cubans of the world or the DJ Khaled's, but drivers, but this drives away the demographic of smaller race teams. Even Dale Jr. said he was interested in a charter at one point, but not for these kind of prices. And if these prices are just in a bubble because teams are so desperate uh, for to find another charter either to expand their race team, what happens when this bubble pops? To me, it has a lot of 2008 housing market vibes. Charters create even more of a barrier into the sport. NASCAR has put itself into a bind with a limited number of charters. Yeah, a limited number of charters creates more demand, which is increases the price for teams. But if a team wants to expand like Trackhouse or a new team wants to join, there are no more charters, limiting the sport's growth. If they create more, it will decrease the value of other teams' charters like inflation. Or a team has to pay tens of millions to buy in. Even if they can afford it, they have to wait until another team wants to sell one. This might slow down the momentum of growth in the sport has right now. Also, smaller non-charter teams have less and less motivation to spend the money to try and make a race for significantly less payout. Yeah, and uh, the negotiating window for NASCAR and teams has expired as of this year, which is more concerning for the bubble popping. The first charter agreement was from 2016 to 2024. There is a team negotiating committee that represents the team owners, and they are negotiating the deal with NASCAR for all the teams about payouts, media revenue for the teams. Um, It was said that negotiations were initially delayed because they were waiting to see what the TV deal was and waiting for that to be finalized. Some of the negotiating points were that NASCAR teams wanted permanent charters and that um, teams wanted to receive more money from the TV deal. As of last week, no agreements were made between NASCAR or the committee. NASCAR declined a meeting with the team owners in Daytona and wanted to meet with the teams individually instead. This seems to give NASCAR more control. Teams are still independent contractors in the sense that teams don't own any part of NASCAR. So NASCAR holds a lot of the chips here. What if NASCAR just disposes of this model or tries to seize the charters from the teams? then the $30 million charter Spire just bought isn't worth much. I don't think NASCAR would do that. They need the teams to have a race, but it seems like this still has a lot of risk. Yeah, with no agreement for this long, it seems like the teams in NASCAR might not have been as close to the same page as we first thought. But according to both Dale Jr. and Denny Hamlin, Teams have actually gone on to hire what they're calling the Michael Jordan of lawyers. So this is the guy that finalized the free agency deal in the NFL and the NIL deal in NCAA. So despite not having a deal made and lawyering up, teams were still agreeing to race on without a charter agreement. So uh, 
the holdup seems to be that teams want it permanent charters like we discussed because they want to be more like a franchise team in other sports. But NASCAR views this model kind of just as a, here's your guaranteed starting position. So teams are now beginning to state that they're wanting to meet NASCAR in the middle and not necessarily have a permanent charter, but what they're calling an evergreen model. So essentially they're asking for a permanent charter, but uh, with certain guidelines and they need to meet certain criteria by NASCAR or else NASCAR can revoke that charter. Um, but in breaking news this week, according to Jayski, NASCAR offered to extend the charter system for seven years, and this coincides with the new TV rights deal. So this might help settle the discussion for now, and I would assume this might go away in the media for a while, but NASCAR is still blocking teams from permanent charters, and teams are still incurring a lot of risk if this model goes away. So NASCAR has 75 years of brand equity, but these teams bring in decades of industry knowledge, their own brand equity, and NASCAR cannot do without this. The two parties need each other. Um, charters definitely benefit the current team owners. They give them value, but I hope it doesn't get in the way of growth as the sport, as teams want to expand or new teams coming in. I know that was a lot. Thank you for bearing with us. Um, this was a deep dive, but... I, I think it's important to kind of cover what the state of charters is right now because a lot of people don't know what's going on behind the scenes that there's there's a big dispute between these teams and NASCAR right now. And uh, it to me, it, it's kind of interesting. And we got to figure it out so we can just go racing. That's right. Well, man, that that is that. Um, hopefully... Uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we can kind of dive into different topics that we want to learn more about, find interesting, and um, take you guys along for the ride. But for now, we're going to jump into our next segment. It's a race recap. We need to talk to Bryce about Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to talk truck race and an Xfinity race? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So, okay. all right. I don't think there's anything to super write home about with the truck race or the Xfinity race. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, I found it really interesting that like last week at Daytona, um, we had the trucks and Xfinity be complete wreck fests and cup was, uh, kind of a, a pretty okay race. Not nothing spectacular. Yeah. Uh, this week it was the flip. Yeah. It was a big opposite. Yeah. We had trucks, uh, no one crashed. Okay. It was pretty impressive. Okay. Single file most of the time. Now Xfinity... Is that, that just the aerodynamics of the truck uh, and the way that it's racing at Atlanta right now? I mean... Because we'll talk about the cup race, but I yeah. remember three years ago when they did the remodel, I felt like the cup cars were single file pretty much the whole race. Yeah. Am I, I remembering wrong? I think that they were kind of uh, trying to take it slow after last week. That yeah. was the impression I got. Um, now, uh, I will say, like, Atlanta is starting to wear a lot, mm -hmm. and we're seeing the track gray, which means, like, it's losing grip. Yeah, and it was it was black when they when first they, laid it yeah, down. Which was only, like, three years ago, mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy that it's aging that quickly. Um, 
Well, have you been on an Atlanta highway recently? I have not. Oh, a lot of potholes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's like in the area where it's like just cold enough to like where that track freeze and yeah, contracting in the winter, and then uh, in the summer it, it's getting baked. So it, it's having that pull and and push effect there. But that's the characteristics that people loved about the the track before they repaved it. They exactly. That. Which makes me hopeful. It was worn out, so yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I think, like, what it, what it looked like, it was really hard for the bottom line to form in both the Xfinity and truck race. That might have been because uh, with the top line, like, you're able to be more in the throttle because, like, if handling's an issue and, like, the track's losing grip. Being in the top line, um, you're putting less steering input in. So, okay. if your car's not handling well and you're on the bottom, you have to put, you have to turn the wheel more, which might make your car more upset, which is going to have to make you lift off the gas more. Um, now that's going to cause that whole line to check up, where the people on the top line don't have to check up as much, and that line might carry mo- more momentum. So, unless you had a ton of cars that were handling well on the bottom, maybe. That's why they weren't really able to compete with the top line, and it became more of a single file race for those two. Now, we, the cup race might have been uh, because it's a different car handling different. I don't yeah. know if that's the reason, but who won the truck race? Uh, Kyle Busch wins his uh, his <laughs> his sixty fifth career truck victory. Did you know that this is his first victory in the series in fifteen years? That's not his own equipment. Yeah, who who was he racing for? Who did he hop Spire in? Spire Motorsports. Okay. But I mean, this really was his own equipment because okay. Spire bought Oh yeah. Kyle mm-hmm. Busch Motorsports. So I wonder if they had like some kind of like deal like you got to let me come race for you. Yeah, the I, contract I feel and he like sold that. it. Cuz like he was talking about not wanting to sell it. So I wonder if like these were the conditions or, and if like Brexton might end up. Yeah, there. he's got a somewhere in the contract it says Brexton has to race for you yeah. in six, <laughs> seven years. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um so also in the truck race, we had the convertible series come back from the 1960s. <laughs> uh so the roof flies off uh Bailey Curry's truck. He said a piece of debris hit it, which caused damage, uh breaking maybe a piece of the windshield, which ripped the roof off well did was it the escape hatch because does so, the truck have an escape hatch like the cup car um i'm not 100 percent sure on that but it okay. was that section it was over the driver yeah the i only, saw a picture of it on Twitter. yeah did they bring him in and not let him i believe yeah. he had to pull in that was a big <laughs> safety concern yeah so here's here's my conspiracy theory okay the past uh Couple of years. The last time we saw this was with Kevin Harvick at Texas. He got disqualified uh, for no, it was Talladega. I'm sorry, not Texas. He got disqualified. So another super speedway race uh, because all of his uh, brackets uh, on the windshield were loose. Do you remember that? Was this uh, a little cheaty cheaty? So competitive. According to um, the crew chief, it wasn't, but. In theory here, we've seen this before where people want the windshield to actually cave in because that's going to create an aerodynamic advantage where it, air it's a less they figured, resistance. They've figured everything out. We got now. engineers trying to figure everything out. Yeah. And 
now that's going to cause less drag because that windshield's caved in and air doesn't have to go around it all the way, right? So my thought here is uh, they were maybe trying to do this and uh, it backfired because maybe there's a separation between the roof and the window, air getting in the cockpit, mm -hmm. ripping the the roof off. I don't think the engineers kind of expected that one to happen. Or maybe they just put the, the truck together wrong. Now, that is also a possibility. <laughs> but I, I like to go... You like to <laughs> My go, brain immediately goes to... Uh, you got your tinfoil hat on. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to hear all the... Well, that's uh, what we do. Happening. That's what we do here on Monday Morning Crew Chief. Yeah, because you know what? We're not there. It's not our truck. We're just going to conspire and uh, try to figure out ourselves what's going on. Yeah. Um, okay, so besides that, um, I don't have much to say about the truck race. Xfinity race. Oh, you know what? I did watch a little bit of the Xfinity race. Yeah? Because... Man, it is a shame to see someone dominate like Jesse Love did and win two stages and then run out of gas. Now get this. He won the poll last week at Daytona. Uh -huh. He won the poll this week at Atlanta. He led He's having a good season. The so whole far. dang race. This is his second start. Dang. Now, with that information, the team was asking Hey, have you saved enough? The kid that has two starts. Mm. Now, isn't that's not his job? That that's like well, maybe an experienced guy it is. would know. An experienced guy would know. Okay, I've been in the draft long enough. I've been like going half throttle. I know, like mm -hmm. I like I've been saving fuel, and like over time, you might learn. Okay, if I'm saving fuel for this long, I've given myself this many laps back. This guy's been leading the whole race. He's not in the draft. He's not able to save fuel. He says he was, but obviously yeah. that wasn't the case. And I think that was an oversight on this team. Now they have all these smart engineers. They're figuring out how to break windshields. But, I mean, man, I, I would refer to someone else than the guy with two starts uh, for the fuel mileage calculation. But that's just me. And who scooped the win? Oh, his teammate, Austin Hill, comes in because guess what? He was back there saving fuel. <laughs> Austin Hill, double double, yeah. double wins. RCR's looking strong. Yeah. Um, I, I do think Jesse Love probably has a great future ahead of him. So he, Jesse Love is in the two car? Yes. Okay, he took over Sheldon Creed's That's ride. correct. Okay. Yeah, he's straight out of ARCA, 19 years old. Uh, did great in ARCA. I think he's got a lot of potential here. Okay. Um. But half the field runs out of gas on this green-white checkered, um, leaving it for his teammate, who even had enough fuel to do a burnout. Well, you know what? That's sometimes exciting for us NASCAR fans to yeah. see that kind of strategy just not play out. Now, I get the gamble, mm -hmm. especially, like, you're asking the driver what he wants to do. You want it to be in your own hands. And, like, yeah, you're not going to give up the track position on a green-white checkered. But, like, the smart move would have been to come, top it off, you might not win the race, but you're going to salvage the day and yeah. get to keep your points run going. Well, he's definitely a learning moment, and uh, you think we'll see him in victory lane soon, probably. I, I would hope so. I, I think we will. All right, let's get to the cup race. I was there. It was Man, awesome. Dude, okay. 
So much to talk about here. Yeah. Um, First time at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it, man. Never been. Yeah. So, we, we we took a whole crowd. Um, my wife, Kylie, and uh, my 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 buddy my buddy Chris from Florida came up. Yeah. And um, yeah, we had a whole group go. That's out. awesome. That's always fun when you get everyone out there and having a good time. Uh, the first notable thing we got: Michael McDowell wins his first pole in his career, and Joey Logano starts second. So they did the old switcheroo from last week. That's right. That's cool. Same front row as Daytona. Um, the last time this happened was in 1981. Man, I, I liked um, I liked Michael's uh paint scheme this week it was pretty nifty yeah ben, I, I, bone. I don't know what that is but it okay. looked cool so i can tell you oh tell they me. had a they had a pretty cool like a little thing in the midway that's good sponsor activation yeah so Benabone is a dog bone company and oh. um yeah uh, my wife has been buying them for lucille for a while now and they were all you had to do is like scan a qr code and they gave you a free Benabone. That's pretty cool. And, uh, it's probably like a like a ten fifteen dollar value. That's awesome. I love free stuff. Yeah, I that's Got why I love going to NASCAR races. Got some koozies. So Fords were extremely strong. So I noted here, like at the start of the race, seven of the top ten were Fords. Yeah, it was it was Ford dominant pretty much the full, whole first stage, right? Yeah. What what I find interesting is that like we'll get to this, but Chevy has actually won like every single race for the the past two weekends, but it's been Ford that's really showing up with speed. Yeah. So I think like this the stats here are a little skewed with the finishes because we're at super speedways, but I I think we should be scared of Fords going into the rest of the season. I mean, Blaney was there at the end. Yeah. Just missed it by a nose, and we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, okay. Before the race even started, we had some news. Logano was sent to the rear for using a modified glove during qualifying. Did you get to see this? Yeah, I wanted to talk about that earlier when we were talking about the truck. Uh, yeah. A little, little cheaty deal. Um, so from what I've heard, uh, Logano's glove was altered to be slightly larger. So... He added webbing, webbing? Yeah, in between webbing. his thumb and uh, pointer finger. And it's essentially like what the goal here was. You you see all the drivers put their hands up uh, to the space in between the window net and A-post when they're doing their qualifying run. And that's to keep air from getting in the cockpit. Uh, that's going to help just aerodynamically. Less air in the cockpit is going to equal less drag. So therefore, you're going to go faster with less air in the cockpit. So that little piece of netting is going to help even more to block the air from coming through. We're ne- ta- we're talking about margins here. Yes. So any little bit helps. Yeah. And oh man, like I love this stuff. Yeah. Like NASCAR was made on this kind of ingenuity and like I love that Joey's still like the bad boy enough to like pull off this kind of stuff. <laughs> Do you think it's him or his crew chief? Like, who uh, comes up with these ideas? I mean, I I would assume not Joey. I yeah. would assume someone behind a desk punching numbers. Uh, it had they had to have seen something where it was be- so sketchy, beneficial though. enough to push 
like make it worth the penalty. But yeah. so what what ends up happening and what was announced today is that Joey Logano was fined ten thousand dollars and during the race he had to do um, a pass through penalty and start in the rear of the field, which ended up saving him for the time being. Yeah, he wasn't part of the. The big one in the beginning there. Yeah. Well, I guess he wouldn't have been starting on the front row. <laughs> That's a good point. But but he didn't stay at the back for long. He was he, he was able he to get up through. there. Yeah. yeah. I, I think mostly because of that wreck. Half the cars were had a pit. Sure. Um, but the reason why this is um, illegal mm-hmm. is because he modified uh, an SFI um, part. So mm. what that means, FF, SFI is, uh, or is it? Look at the back of the helmet. What does that say? Sorry, is it SIF or SFI? Oh gosh, does it say on there? Oh gosh, oh, oh, oh. I got it. Bryce is pulling yeah. up my my uh, racing yeah. helmet here. Pass it over to you. So here it is. On the inside of this helmet, we have an SFI tag, and that is a standard um, that all this racing equipment has to have. Uh, basically for safety, uh, it, a lot of this is the, the fireproof rating. And so you can't modify this stuff. Uh, it, a lot of it's chemically treated. It's made with special material. And so it, it's a safety concern. And that's why and this is piece, illegal. His piece of illegal fabric might not have been yeah. fire retardant. That or he, you're like... You're sewing in thread that's not fire retardant into your SFI gloves, or like you've you've now created an open an opening in that glove that that like. And you're just taking away yeah. everyone's supposed to have standardized stuff. Yeah, so that's the reasoning. If you didn't know, um, we had another penalty. Um, so wait, I have a, before we move on, do yeah. you think that that's what got him the pole position at the Daytona 500? I that, saw there was speculation about they're, that. They're speculating that. Now, there's I a video s- where he's um, coming into pit road at the Daytona 500 and he takes his left hand glove off. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's sneaky. Like, there's a way to find out if Fox has all that in car footage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how he got caught. So I wonder if he did. And if he did, is it like, is that little material making that much of a difference on the track. Does NASCAR just overlook that and not even pursue I think even they more do. fines? I, yeah. I don't think they go down that rabbit hole yeah. of revoking um, results and all that. Um, okay. Just based on their track record. But we had uh, Noah Gragson and Ryan Priest before qualifying – uh, NASCAR confiscated their roof rail deflectors. So essentially, this is a piece of metal on the roof. Uh, it it helps create side force on the car, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it's a very thin piece of metal. Why were they messing with it, Matt? I, they're they're trying to find an advantage anywhere. Okay. And now this is what's interesting. So NASCAR, uh, as of tonight, just released the penalty. So it was announced as an L1 penalty for improper roof air deflectors. And it should be noted that these are teammates. This is the yes, same same company. Same, Stuart Haas Racing. That's correct. So uh, this is something within the organization that they were trying to push the boundary with here. Um, 
Again, I, I love and is it. Stuff. Why is it not innovation? Why is it cheating? So, this is cheating because there's already a rule made for it. Okay. Now, innovation comes in. Now, don't get me wrong. All the stuff's very innovative, <laughs> but you get that real innovative stuff where you're able to read between the rule book and NASCAR. You found the gap in the rules where that NASCAR hasn't made yet, mm-hmm. and you forced NASCAR to make a rule. That that stuff's even more awesome. But like, I love the the mindset of trying to get something past NASCAR, trying to be as fast as you can. It's all in the spirit of like trying to go fast and i love it it's it's cute i like it (laughs) (laughs) so this is an l1 penalty um this is the lowest level and it's considered a pre-race penalty so if this was found in post-race spec this probably would have been an l2 penalty okay which means it's a higher fine higher points so they were fined 35 driver and owner points i don't believe anyone was suspended i don't believe there's any monetary fine um the reason it's like what we saw with the Hendrick cars. Did you cars, say no points? No points deducted? If, there were. Okay. So 35 owner and driver points. But okay, no, so what, does that, what does that mean? So uh, basically in a race, like you're given uh, driver one gets 36 points. Uh, so this is... Now, there's two point systems in NASCAR. Kind of confusing, but the drivers are occurring, accruing points through the whole season, and that car is accruing points. Um, there's different payouts for the owner points and, and driver points. But uh, the fact that they were fined 35 in both, that basically, consider that like they had a DNF, like they didn't race at Daytona. They're essentially wow. down the, those points. That's pretty significant. It is that you're you're in a hole at mm-hmm. the beginning of the season. It's something you can get out of, especially if you're running well or win a race. But like, I mean, we've seen and Stuart Haas hasn't really been running well. Yeah, for the past couple of years. So that's a great point. And we've seen cutoff races come down to one or two points. So every point matters, and this is important. Um, and Phoenix, I feel like last points here. Points is a. Point system should be some another topic we talk about in a later episode. That, that's a great idea. I think we should. It is a, a whole whole thing to get into. Very confusing. Yeah. Um. So the hood louvers with Hendrick last year. You remember that? Mm-hmm. They found. I, I learned what a louver was. Yeah, those little fins on the hood. Um, that's a next gen part, and so like last year. They were they found discrepancies in those. Um, so it was claimed that Hendrick was modifying those, and modifying a next gen part is a big no no. And that was an L three penalty, the highest level. They were deducted the most amount of points, the highest fine. Um, now there's an appeal system and all that jazz, which we'll we're not going to get into. But the reason why this is not an L three penalty is one, this was pre race, and two. This wasn't a next-gen part. And th- this is news to me. Okay. Um, so, essentially... So, was this something they were able to correct? This is... Yeah, they corrected it for the race. Okay. This is a part they're actually making. So, um, next-gen parts are spec parts where you have to buy from a specific vendor and they cannot be modified. There are certain parts on the car that are not considered next-gen parts, from my understanding. And these are, might still be made in-house. This might be a dashboard. This might be 
apparently these roof rails. Um, wow. So there's little things that the teams are still allowed to put on the car that's not bought. And um, I think that's why this penalty isn't as severe as we saw in Phoenix with Hendrick. Because the louver comes straight from the factory. Yes, that cannot be touched, cannot be modified in any way. Where this part, like you have to build it to the specs of the rule book and the, um, to the CAD drawing yeah. that you get. Um, and they were trying to alter it from that CAD drawing, but it wasn't um, a spec part that they bought. Man. So that's why. Imagine if a basketball team had to make their own basketball. That's right. Or their own shoes. <laughs> I, I want to get straight into it with you, stage one. What was it like being in the in the stands? Take me through the race. Okay, so we were sitting in the restart zone, um, about row 50. And so they, they got going. And then on lap two... It wasn't long before they They stopped. weren't going. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, they just they went off into turn two, and um, I didn't get the best view of it. Uh, what did you see on TV? So I didn't see what happened at first. Uh, during the replay, though, uh, what it looked like was Todd Gillen was checking up to let Michael McDowell in the top lane. Mm. So he checked up. He's helping his teammate out. That started the accordion effect, and so everyone else had to check up. Well, the first guy who didn't really get the memo that they're all checking up was Austin Dillon. And uh, 16 cars then wah, plowed wah, Yeah, sad day for Austin Dillon. 16 cars involved. Uh, this is the largest wreck in Atlanta Motor Speedway history. Pretty wild. 16? 16 cars. Wow. And who, got, who else got damaged? Uh, our winner, Suarez. Mm. We had Chase Elliott. Tyler yes. Reddick. Suarez, I didn't really see him all day. Yeah. For most of the race. It, Fox sure as heck didn't show him. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, was Denny in this one? I mean, I think what Denny, Rick, Denny was, was Denny in, not in. Denny was in everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, that that is a, a big part of my notes here is Denny Hamlin. I was actually impressed. Um. So we had the spin out with him and Kyle Bush in stage one. Oh, Kyle. There was a Kyle Bush fan in front of me and we kind of made eyes. Oh man. You're you had beef in the in the seats. Yeah, because I'm all in, man. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing all your Denny Hamlin gear yep. out there. That's funny. <laughs> so it looked like I mean, from the replay, it looked like Hamlin came down kind of in the dog like it's just such a tight area yeah. right there. But yeah. man. He did a great job he not hitting anything. He rebounded from that. Yeah. But we'll get into what happened to Denny later. Yeah. So Michael McDowell won stage one. I'm impressed with front row. They're yeah. actually, like their namesake is actually living up to what their what their drivers are doing these days. Yeah. And I don't know where I heard this, but I heard they're getting more support from Ford. I don't know if that's true. Okay. But if that's the case, it's... It's showing. And are they uh, are they an affiliate team with one of the bigger teams? I believe so. Okay. Um, is it Penske? I'm not sure. We'll have to look that we'll up. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that takes us into stage two. And you said Michael McDowell won stage one. He won stage one. Good job. 
front row, man, they had a day. So that, Todd Todd was up front a lot of the day too. He was. Yeah. We'll get we'll get to Sorry, him we'll, here in a second. Yeah, because he was in stage two running up front or yeah. stage three. Can't remember. Um I had him somewhere. I we'll we'll see here. But okay. stage two, Michael McDowell locks up the tires coming to pit road, which hits William Byron during green flag pit stops. That made my buddy Chris mad. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing more stuff in the seats. Fights everywhere. Yeah, we didn't we, we couldn't really see what was going on back there, but we knew that's right. We heard over the radio that Byron got sent. Because so. you guys like so Atlanta Motor Speedway changed mm-hmm. where the pit road entry was. Mm-hmm. Um so we just from where we were sitting, we just saw Byron dip down into going towards the pits. Yeah. We saw Michael following him and then yeah. It was so unfortunate. Did they have, did they have to bring out the caution for that? Yeah. Because they went back up on the track? I'm almost positive. Okay. Uh, no. No caution. It was in the That's middle of green flag was? pit stops. Oh, my gosh. That's so right. Byron ended up a, a yeah. lap or two down because yes. of it. So, getting into that. Well, first of all, that whole green flag uh, pit stop cycle, six speeding penalties. And that, I think, occurred because that stretch on the back stretch and that apron between... Uh, turns three and four that's where they were speeding that was the 90 you were allowed to go 90 miles an hour in that section then once you get to the actual pit road you need to drop to 45 okay and a lot of people were getting caught at the actual entry to pit road not dropping from 90 to 45 miles an hour wow interesting that's like uh a big change for these teams and not something they really got to practice a lot. Yeah. And I wonder like, well, speaking, they didn't get any practice. So that's a good point. Yeah. I wish NASCAR to be in practice back, but, yeah. um, even like a 10 to 20 minute practice. Yeah. Shake down the car, like, figure out what's wrong. Have a little practice before qualifying. Yeah. So that's anyway. Um, so in a NASCAR, their dashboard, uh, it's all digital now. But they have these lights, and essentially, that is because um, they don't have a speedometer. They, they don't have a speedometer. It's only a tachometer, so you're only seeing RPMs. And they have lights that it correlate to the RPMs in a certain gear. They know uh, this many RPMs in gear two equals my pit road speed, and so they will program out these lights so that when they're all green, you know you're going pit road speed. But because now there's two pit road speeds at Atlanta, I don't know how teams are doing that. I don't know if they had two yeah, sets of like, lights. Yeah, like what would would 90 miles an hour be gear two? Yeah, maybe it's like gear three or maybe it's yeah. gear two and you have like you're past your green lights and now you're in red lights a certain amount. Mm-hmm. But I think that might have been a little bit of a guessing game for some of these teams or they're trying to push it. And, and Well, you and, definitely uh, saw them trying to push it. Yeah. Because there were some cars getting pushed into pit road. <laughs> That's for sure. And, like, I think it was so critical to have clean pit stops because this pit road was so long. If you make a mistake, you're going multiple laps down no matter what. Yeah. And that could ruin your day, like we saw for William Byron. And so... um, And that was a big storyline. They kept on saying, Daytona 500 winner William Byron is laps down. (laughs) Sorry, William. The next thing I have on the docket... Um, Logano, Hamlin, and Busher get together on the last lap of stage two. I mean, there's 
there's still a lot of racing left to do. I know that stage points are important, but I think yeah. that was this too aggressive. Going for the win is more important than stage points. I can agree. I with don't. That. I don't ever like seeing. I I know as a fan, and I get excited for everyone around me um, that like has come to the race because I know that it's going to get it more exciting for them. Um, when these when stages come to an end. You just know that there's gonna be there's gonna be wrecks. There's gonna be people making bad blocks and bad moves, and um, yeah, yeah, I think I think that I think that whoever was out front was making some bad blocks. And I think the reason they get so aggressive for these stage wins is they're going for that playoff point. Mm-hmm. There's one playoff point to be um, had at each stage, and it's only the winner of that stage that gets it. Um, now, obviously, positions one through ten get stage points, and that adds to the the normal points. But the playoff point that carries over, and the only thing that carries over into the rounds of the playoffs. So that's why people really start to get aggressive there. Um, you know, what was interesting. I feel like the Pensy cars were the only ones that were able to be aggressive like that all day. Yeah, and not only the Penske. Well, I guess the Fords, the Fords, Mc, uh, McDowell. Yeah, and. Um, I feel like Kozlowski was aggressive as well. Yeah. But what we saw there was just Logano coming up to, to try to block Busher, it looked like. And then, uh, I mean, handling was a storyline this whole race. And, uh, again, track, track has less grip. It looked like the cars were a handful. And so with the super speedway package, like we talked last week, the draft is a big factor. And because of the draft... Uh, with these big spoilers on the car, the air when you're the air significantly changes on the front end of the car when you get behind another car. So all of a sudden, all that air is now not hitting the nose of your car. It's coming up to the windshield, to the roof, and going over, which creates that slipstream, and you go faster when you're behind a car, but you're losing front downforce. So we're not on big wide Daytona. We're on the smaller mile and a half Atlanta. Uh, more turning input. Uh, these cars are going to be more of a handful, and th- you just lose the front end. Um, it looked like he got arrow tight and went. You even saw Busher get arrow tight as Logano came up in front of him, and they both hit the wall. There's less banking in the dog leg as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of factors that contributed to handling during this race. And I think that's why it was an exciting race. Mm-hmm. And why I put on such a great show, even though there's so many crashes, we saw these drivers like actually having to handle these cars, having to let off the gas, and that created runs and and all that. Tons of lead changes. I I, yeah. I don't see that in the notes, but um, I don't want to misspeak. But I there was there was a bunch of different leaders. There like, was. I don't know the exact number, but it was the record number of lead changes at Atlanta. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's getting it's getting exciting again at Atlanta. Yeah. So that takes us to stage three. So De- to recap, Denny Hamlin runs into Chris Buescher at the end of stage two. I thought he was done. Really? Denny himself? Yeah. Or Buescher? De- Denny. So okay. Denny gets caught up in that wreck with Joey Logano and Chris Buescher at the end of stage two. Yeah. Um, it just happened right in front of Denny. Denny had nowhere to go. He runs into them. And... I was like, man, that sucks for Denny. 
The next thing I know, stage three starts, and Denny Hamlin's starting P3. <laughs> yeah, I think he just came onto pit road, and they added some gas, and he just went. I think that goes to show you how rigid um, and durable these new next-gen bodies are. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy. That would not have happened in the old car. I think he wasn't as competitive in stage three, or I think he was competitive, but just he wasn't able to go to the front like the Fords were. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. So, like we talked about earlier, Todd Gilliland was a factor all day. He led six times for a career high of fifty-eight laps. He ends up twenty-sixth. Um. What's sad? Um. He uh. Let's see here. Uh. He also led the most laps for Front Row Motorsports and Team History. And just like Gilliland, Logano uh, and Gilliland are both the series lap leaders. So uh, both of them combined have led the most laps out of anyone else in Daytona and Atlanta. They're both respectively 32nd and 33 in points. Good for those guys. That wild. It tells you anything can happen at these super speedway races. Yeah, because we haven't seen Gillen perform like this before. No, never. Yeah. I like I literally cannot tell you a time where he has led this many laps and yeah. had been such a factor. Next, we have Ross Chastain spins out Chase Elliott. Yeah, um, I I wrote this down because I thought like, oh man, we got another bonehead move by bonehead move. By Ross Chastain. Um, I think... The Atlanta fans were not happy. No? They're not, yeah. not Ross fans? Not Ross fans. A lot of, lot of Chase Elliott fans in Atlanta. Yeah, I think it was just a, a product of pack racing. Um, Elliott was three wide, and I think he saw he was in a bad position and checked up, and Ross just didn't check up, and he was right behind him, and mm-hmm. so they hit. I, From what I saw on TV, that's what it looked like. Um, just checking up at the bottom of three wide. Well, you know what? Ross Chastain fans will say, no big deal. Yeah. And Chase Elliott fans will say, it was he, a bonehead move. Yep. He's on their list now. Yeah. So, going back to William Byron, this was interesting because at this caution, um, William Byron stayed out. At this point, he's two laps down. He stayed out to get the wave around. Uh, because he was side-by-side with the leader, Michael McDowell. So, the team thought that they were ahead of Michael McDowell. Therefore, they would have got the wave around um, on this caution, making them only one lap down, mm-hmm. which you're back in the race. You can get a lucky dog, you can make that lap back up, and so you're back were they, in it. Was this a miscalculation? So, I was listening to his radio. They were not happy. Apparently, uh, NASCAR said he was not wave eligible. So he stayed out, and and he was not able to get his lap back, which means he didn't have enough fuel to finish the race. So uh, the issue here, typically NASCAR will tell you if you're wave eligible before pit road opens, and you can figure out what, out what you need to do if you need a pit, or if, you can, or if you're able to stay out to get the wave around, you can. So it wasn't until pit road was already open, they stayed out, then NASCAR relayed that he was not wave eligible. And it was too late because they've already passed pit road. Why are they doing like that? I don't know. 
that, let me tell you, will he be on the radio? Not happy. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Beep. <laughs> um, the next caution we had, the 6, 5, and 7 get together out of turn 4, was it? Why didn't you write the 5, 6, and 7? Because <laughs> 7, 8, 9... <laughs> I I don't really remember what happened there. I might have I might have been going to the restroom. Okay. Um, no, I was I was definitely there, but <laughs> it's actually there's hard. so much so much happened during. There this are race. so many wrecks. It's hard to keep track of them all. Um, yeah, this was the wreck fest. Yeah. All I have to say is that Kyle Larson has been involved in a wreck at every single Atlanta race since the reconfiguration. He he can't figure it out. It, it's been tough for him on super speedways. That's for sure. And Kozlowski. Who caused it? Was it another bad bad push from Brad Kozlowski? Oh, man. I From what I remember, I think I wrote them in that order, 6, 5, and 7, because that's the order they were running. Okay. So I think it was a checkup on Kozlowski, and then uh, the 5 and 7 had nowhere to go. Okay. Man, it's only Tuesday, and it feels like this race was last week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so much has happened. Um, but Kozlowski is 36th in points after the first two races. He's below David Reagan, who only ran one race. Dang. That's, uh, not good. Now, we're at the beginning of the season, but points still matter. And, uh, you can get yourself in a hole here pretty quick. I made a note here. Yeah. And, I don't know. Do you think that Everybody reaches an age of a retirement in a in a professional sport. Do you think that Brad should retire and hire a young, talented driver to take over the six car? You think it's time? I don't think it's time yet. Okay. I think he's got a few years left in him. He's showing speed. Okay. He's been close to winning. He just hasn't been able to close the deal. Yeah, but Chris Busher's getting the job done. Yeah, he is. So... It's just I, something I wrote down. Yeah. I think the team would benefit from having uh, someone able to dedicate all their time and effort to that leadership role. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I felt like Kozlowski used to be a personality in the sport. Um, chugging beer after races, yeah. after winning races. The old chew. And um, getting into fights and just kind of being... The the Kyle Bush comment at Bristol where he comes out and says <laughs> Kyle Bush is an ass. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. And um I know he's older and has yeah, kids now. He's become more vanilla. But um I don't know. Maybe get someone young and spunky in the six car. Yeah. Do do what Stuart Haas is doing, like with uh Noah Gregson. That that's fair. Yeah. I, I I think you bring up a good point and I think that team could benefit from someone full time in that position. Someone could say the same thing about Denny Hamlin. Yeah. But, uh, but well, wrong. Denny Hamlin's winning, so. Yeah. <laughs> Denny Hamlin is arguably, like, in the prime of his career. Now, is 23-11 still suffering because they don't have someone, like, in that role full-time? I don't know, but. Yeah, well. They're still I mean, doing well. RFK is split ownership, so there's yeah. there's someone taking care of all the day-to-day. -day and, yeah. and I'm sure Brad's there's involved, someone. but. Yeah. And we don't know all those details. For sure. 
So enough of the wrecks. There was there were too many. Um, the last thing I'll say is that Fox put up a graphic, and I don't even think this was still accurate at this point, but it was easier for them to say the cars not involved in a wreck than the cars involved in a wreck that day, which at that point was seven. So 32 cars were involved in a wreck. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Well, before we were finished talking about wrecks, we need to talk about Denny Hamlin's fourth wreck of the day. Oh, man. Which, when that's Briscoe what, shot the middle, putting them yeah, four wide. And that's what ended his day. Yeah. That how'd, was, that, how'd that one feel? It was a gut punch because I was very much being the obnoxious Denny Hamlin fan that day. Really hyping up my guy and uh, surrounded by Chase Elliott fans that actually booed or, no, they cheered when Kyle Busch took the lead from Denny. Oh, wow. And it was like, okay. So a bunch of a bunch of Chase Elliott fans are going to cheer for Kyle Busch just because he took the lead away from Denny. Man, you need to let them know that their driver uh, talks like gluten-free bread. <laughs> Stale. <laughs> uh, all right. So that takes us to the finish. How does it feel being a witness to possibly two of the craziest finishes in NASCAR history? I'm blessed. And what Matt is referring to, we were at Martinsville and we got to experience the the Hail the, Melon. His, the historic Hail Melon. Hail Mellon, Ross Chastain riding the wall at Martinsville. Um, it wasn't the it wasn't um, it wasn't the move for the win, but no, it was the move for the championship. It four. was a move for the championship four, and it was quite the finish. Um, and then seeing this uh, historic three wide finish was it was pretty cool. Yeah, they uh, finished by so first to second was by point zero zero three of a second. That was the the separation. Like those margin that that doesn't even sound real. <laughs> yeah. Like you can break down seconds that much. <laughs> I guess that's three thousandths of a second. <sighs> um so the third closest finish in NASCAR history. Yeah. Which uh what was the first? Ricky Craven and Kurt Bush at Darlington in two thousand three by point zero zero two. And tied for first the 2011 Talladega race with Jimmy Johnson beating Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon by 0.22. Gotcha. That was when Jimmy was pushed uh, by Dale Jr. That was back in the car of tomorrow days, the tandem speed speedway racing. Yeah. The, yeah. When they had the the bubble that would just... Yeah. Go into the lead. But I don't think I've ever seen a three-wide finish on a mile and a half. Yeah. And that's what I was telling my friends... It's crazy that these that these guys can go 400 miles and be finishing like that. Yeah. You know what? Like you've you've gone such a far way and you're still right there neck and neck. Yeah. That crazy. Um I I thought for sure they were going to wreck. They were like it looked like three wide, like three rows deep. And like once they took the white flag, I'm like, oh man, there's no way we're making it back all the way. Well, from what I've learned as a fan is that Kyle Busch, even though he's a personality, and like Brad Kozlowski said, um, he can be an ass. Um, he's a fair driver, and 
Um, he being in the middle there, he could have pushed it and used those guys up a little bit and just yeah. bounced off of them, slowed up their line. But um, in the middle of there, did he, he just didn't have anyone to push him? No momentum. Yeah, it it looked like there was just no one there, and yeah. uh, that outline, the outside line, just had that little bit more momentum. And then Blaney probably had the raw speed. Yeah, but um, Daniel Suarez, great clean finish. Yeah, uh, good for Suarez. I did not see that one coming last week. That was uh my my take was Suarez was on the chopping block. Well, this just secured him. Maybe for a couple more weeks here of security in that ride. So that's exactly what he needed. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that I did see on Twitter, his, his, the owner of one of the co-owner of track house, Justin Mark said that he wasn't. And this is what he said that he wasn't really in a position where he needed to prove himself in that way. Hmm. But um, another victory like that is just it is, only helps it only helps yeah so yeah that's good um what do you think of the pinata celebration okay you think it's fun i think it's too on the nose ross did his thing with the watermelon and now it's like okay do you feel like you have to have a thing that's yeah. what it felt like yeah so I guess for Ross, they did a video on social media where um, they show the guy, the, the truck driver, gets the watermelon and his special place where he puts yeah. it. Um, I guess they always have a pinata traveling with them. I would assume so, too. or else someone ran to Dollar Tree real fast and came back because they they had that thing ready to go. What are some other cool things you think that Daniel could do as a celebration? Eat some hot peppers? or uh, <laughs> I mean... Uh, I think uh, we got Willie B with the big hats. Let's get a sombrero out there. <laughs> um, I like that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we've gone long enough today. Um, yeah. Anything else uh, before we, we close it out here? No, I would just, well, I say no, but you got something? You just, your face just lit up. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. We have a race next week. Real quick, let's touch on Vegas. Um, okay, yeah. So, I think this is really where we're going to see where all the teams stack up and where we're really going to see where Chevy stacks up with the new Ford and Toyota. I agree. Um, I mean, historically, Hendrick has won the last three out of the four races here, and Chevy... Seems to be really strong. Ford's been strong here in the past as well. So I, I'm really curious to see where this stacks up. And, um, like, I think it's going to be a good gauge of where the teams actually are at. Yeah. I am I guess the beginning of the season is just showing me it doesn't really matter who's who's performing the best at the start because it and all that matters is what happens at the end. And if you get caught up in wrecks and all the Fords are gone, then... Yeah, it it is an endurance sport in that sense where you got to be there at the end. You got to finish races out. Um, that will make or break your season is that consistency. Now, the reason why Vegas is so important uh, and like, yeah, we're just in the third race of the season. We've talked about how people haven't even been able to finish the first two races, but this is the first race we're going to. Um, well, actually, it's not Atlanta is in the playoffs now. Um, 
That's true. Jeez. Okay. Well, that point's not valid. But why Vegas is important uh, and what we're going to be looking for next week is that Vegas is the first race in the round of eight. Why that is important is because whoever wins this race in the fall, they're going to be the first ones that have a ticket to the championship four. So Daniel Suarez has already punched his ticket. Yep. And William Byron has already punched his ticket. So that's yeah. two spots already taken for this championship 16. Yeah. So. Um, now, like, the the theory here is if you win that first race at Vegas, you now have three weeks to prep your Phoenix car and do all that preparation. Um, we saw Logano do that in 2022. He won Vegas, went on to win the championship. We thought Larson was going to do it last year. That was mm-hmm. not the case. So we're still trying to figure out this theory, um, if it actually matters. Um, and this is the first intermediate. Actual, I know Atlanta's a mile and a half, yeah, but, but it races yeah. like a super speedway. So super speedway package. So, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm excited to have these cars with a short spoiler and uh, out there. Mile and a half have been a, a great race for this new next-gen car. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else you got? Uh, yeah, I would just like to say, um, if you have the chance, go to uh go to a race this season. Go to a truck race. Go to an Xfinity race. Go to a Cup race. Um, the experience at the track is just so much different from what you get on the TV. Yeah. Um, I think the TV partners do a good, a decent job. I'm not going to say they do a great job, um, but I feel like. They miss a lot. Um, I really enjoy the MRN and the PRN broadcast when you're at the track. Yeah. Okay. I think they bring a little more yeah. excitement in their calls. And um, yeah, I can see that. And like Matt said, if you go to the race, uh, look at um, and look at getting some a scanner. A hundred percent. Do not go to a race without a scanner. It's a whole different experience to keep up with what's going on on the track. Hearing team communication is really cool, but like listening to the broadcast also is very helpful yeah um and maybe that's another segment we can add later because i would love to bring on some um bring on a friend who's experienced it for the first time this year going to a going to a racetrack so that'd be really cool yeah speaking of that um we would love to hear from the fans submit a question your reactions hot takes something you want us to discuss we want to hear from you we want to hear your thoughts the best way to do this is to reach out uh, to us on Instagram at Monday Morning Crew Chief or on Twitter. Um, but yeah, uh, man, thanks for for joining us. Yeah, it, yeah, and it'd be great to get some feedback on uh, on Instagram as well. Let us know if we're doing a good job and you like hearing us. <laughs> yeah, great. Follow, review. We, we want to hear what you think. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, we're gonna see you next week talking about Vegas. Let's go all in, Denny Hamlin. We out. by freestockmusic.com.